This is Patty Holstrand. This is KWOD Radio, and we're live today. We're talking to Don Waste with the Expendable Pond. And I'm going to leave the information as far as his website on our chat. You guys can call us at 714-242-5145. And also, you can chat with us right on Blog Talk Radio. So please, if you have any questions or comments at any time during the show, please share it with us. And that's what it's all about. See you. So uh, it looks to me like Don is on the air. So let me go ahead and uh, introduce him. Uh, Don, I met Don uh, last year. And he had a book that he was working on. Um, it's a nonfiction and it's called The Expendable Pawn. Don, are you there? Yes, ma'am, I sure am. Can you hear me pretty well? Yeah, I'm sort of, uh, I'm still trying to get used to this uh, this Internet stuff a little bit here, but uh, I'm on and I hear you. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. You can probably hear me okay. hearing you, so. <laughs> no, I turned down the sound, like you said. Oh, good, good. So tell us a little bit about how this book came to be and what you would categorize it as. Well, you know what, Patty, before I get into that, I I just want to take one little moment and just thank you profusely for the hard work that you're doing putting this on. Um, It's kind of new to me, as I'm sure it's new to a lot of uh, self-publishers, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that you're recognized for a lot of hard work to make this happen. So thank you very much, Patty. Yeah, it's no problem at all. I enjoy talking to you guys and and getting to know all about your stories and your books. That's what makes it worthwhile. Yes, ma'am. Well, so tell okay, so tell uh, me tell me about this book of yours. A little bit about the book. Well, the Expendable Pawn is uh, basically it started as a set of crib notes for myself when I was uh, on a self discovery trip, and um, I, I wanted. I wanted to understand that all of us come down to three basic questions, you know, who am I, where did I come from, and what's going to happen to me? And those questions, just like everybody else, I started searching out, trying to find answers that made sense to me. And like I say, I started building a set of uh, notes as I discovered things that made sense to me and uh, started putting them together and Pretty soon friends saw them as I shared with them, and they said, well, you know, you ought to, maybe other people would appreciate this. So that's how the book uh, originated. I know that you have uh, you, you have gone underneath a company called Mousetrap Publications. How did you come upon that name? Well, it kind of comes out of building the better mousetrap. Uh, I, 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 consider myself a person who generally thinks outside the box and uh, that means that uh, you're creative and and if you're a creative person well then you just want to build a better mousetrap so uh, that's why I named my corporation so tell us a little bit about your your question yeah it does it does and also brings apart that you know kind of leads into a little more about you you the author what who is Don Waste I am just a person uh, that's 
been created by a loving creator, and uh, uh, I am an, uh, an artist by trade. And what I did is, is uh, being an artist, that means you're creative. And uh, one of the things that just absolutely fascinated me was the human machine, how perfect it is. And that's one of the things that I kept on bumping up against. Uh, evolutionary theory bases all of this kind of perfect development over uh, elemental changes over uh, infinite periods of time. Well, that was pretty hard for me to swallow, considering all the things that come together just in the universe of a single living cell. It's, 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 it seemed to me, uh, from a very practical standpoint, that it was hard to understand the mathematics of evolutionary theory. So I thought, well, there has to be something else here. So I, I suppose you can say I became a, uh intelligent designer uh, a fan pretty early, although you know the name of my intelligent designer is Jesus Christ. So uh, basically, I don't I don't have to uh, identify him as an unknown <clears throat> because he's he's uh, written a, a large book that deals with our salvation and deals with our ability to to understand that book and understand what happened to us and understand the plan for saving us from ourselves. So That was probably, so probably a long a answer long that kind of came around. around but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you got into a little bit about what your uh, you know your idea was. Now, I, I was looking at your website, and by the way, for anybody who wants to know, his website is expendablepond.com. That's expendable, E-X-P-E-N-D-A-B-L-E, Pawn, P-A-W-N, dot com. <coughs> Very beautiful site. Uh, I like how you organize it, and you got really great artwork. Um, tell us about your artwork on your cover, because I always I think you did a really awesome job, and that's just coming from a graphic designer, so it, it just says a lot when I when I give that kind of kudos. So tell us about how well, that Well, uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. that. The, um, I, I actually was heavily into seascapes and landscapes when I was in high school. I, I had a lot of art uh, instruction in that area. And uh, I painted a, a uh, painting of a ship at sea, and it was it was actually just a cargo ship, and it was, you know, surrounded by gigantic waves. And the whole feeling of the, uh, of the painting was just a forlorn hope. And... Uh, when I looked at that painting, I thought, you know, this is probably what Noah uh, and uh, uh, the other six people on the ark felt when they were in the middle of that flood. No land inside, dark skies, and huge waves rocking about. So I, I sort of did a, uh, <clears throat> a stained glass impression of that artwork that I did in, as an oil painting when I was in high school. Well, I think you did an awesome job. I love the 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 waves turning into the birds, and and you got some really dramatic scene there, and that definitely uh, pulls a you know anybody who sees it pulls them in, and makes them curious. So that's what that's what a cover should do. Good, yeah, that's 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 what we're after. Then that's that's <laughs> uh, we need people to read the book. That's what it's all about. So, so anybody who hasn't seen his website, I I. I advise you to go ahead and, and get on there and take a look. 
But one of the things you have on there is a um, little thing that you have on top of your, your header. It says, could our ancestors have been the participants, participants of an insidious genetic war? If so, then what was the evil carrot so masterfully dangled in front of their noses and why? That's a curious question, or a couple of questions there. Uh, that's kind of depicts what you what you your book is kind of about. Yeah, right. It, the, the the whole book doesn't deal just with the uh, the question of of uh, that's posed on the top of that banner. Uh, it it is sort of the main thrust of the book um, because before uh, well, well okay if you go back into Genesis. Uh, in a very short time after the creation of the earth, you really get into some some interesting questions that are posed by the verses, and one of them is, is that uh, that all of a sudden, you know, during Noah's time, the earth, uh, for some reason, the, the occupants of the earth started turning towards evil. Now, I found that especially interesting because. The uh, the Lord was actually, according to the Bible, was actually walking around amongst the people at that time. He was a, he was a visual person. He was not an ethereal entity like we uh, sometimes suspect today. He was physically there, walking around with the people. So you got to ask yourself uh, if he's the creator, and he's and if you're sitting next to the creator. Uh, are you going to necessarily say, well, no, I don't want what you have. I'm going to go over here and listen to what this other guy has. Uh, I found that very, very curious. I couldn't figure out why. Why would that happen? And then there's one other important thing which I covered in the book. Uh, most people don't don't even think about it, but it, it's, a, it's a matter of fact. When Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, the garden was still there. And the reason why we know that is because the Lord placed uh, guards at all the gates so that people could not come in. Now, the reason he didn't want them in there, probably amongst other reasons, but the important reason he didn't want them in there is because the tree of life was still in there. So now I ask you another question. If you're sitting there in, in, in that period of time and you're faced with uh, uh, a physical garden that you can see uh, might you not attempt to defeat that guard and try to get in there and get some of that eternal fruit? So, not only do these people think so. have a visual representation by the garden, but they also have the very creator himself walking around with them. And yet they still turn to evil. They turn to evil uh, so completely that God threw up his hands and said, you know what, we're going to have to start this one over. Now, Why? Why did that happen? That's what I cover in the book. Well, it is it's interesting that uh, it, it does bring about the thought that that I talk to others at times, as they because we don't faith is based on what we don't see, and what we basically still have you know we feel, but we just don't see it. So we can't see the Creator; He's not among us now. So we just have to believe on faith. And back then, here they had the Creator, and yet they still um, decided to go you know, a different direction. 
it's kind of curious. You're thinking, okay, there's there's a lot of faithful people out now. Uh, they still do you know, wicked things. They, they still, you know, sin. That's part of uh, human nature. But yet, not so much so that you know there's there's enough people who still believe enough and have and still have faith. And that's yeah, really, absolutely. I guess, what it's about. Absolutely. See, if if you really stop and think about it, if if we as people were confronted with our Creator and the physical garden that He created for a, a paradisical garden that He created for us, then then uh, that would be a very different world than what we live in now. Because what we live in now, we take by faith. Uh, you know, we have we have manifestations every day. People see uh, a vision of Christ or an angel or something like that, but as a whole, it's not a physical person walking around with us. So you're right. We have to take this information on faith. So our world is completely different than what their world was. But now let's turn to a secular angle here. Uh, when I say that their world was different, I also got the impression that it was a, a very evil and harsh world. And I get that from the Greeks. Now, the Greeks... Uh, of course, ta- have lots of legends about gods and what have you that that uh, declared wars amongst themselves and, and rallied men, uh, uh, human armies around them to uh, subjugate and destroy each other. Well, those um, those legends could have been based into some very real events that took place before the flood. Because uh, the Bible kind of indicates that there is some kind of a uh, genetic war going on. <clears throat> Pardon me. A genetic war going on. And by that I mean when uh, you go into the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> book that lists all of the... Uh, I'm sorry, just a minute. I've got to clear my voice. Can we sell something to drink yeah, lists and, all the genealogies. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, it, it, it lists all the genealogies. Uh, but you notice uh, it's Adam begat so-and-so and then begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so. But there are clearly uh, some people missing out of that genetic tree. And I think, my theory is, is that there was a very good reason why. Because in, um, and I explain this in my book, uh, we were, according to the Bible, we were visited by off-world people. And, I mean, it makes no, no bones about it. Not only were we visited by them, but uh, they bred with women, and they had um, something that was distinctly different than human. It, it was a Nephilim. The Bible calls it a Nephilim, which means, uh, literally in Hebrew, part, an, or part human, part God. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, that, I, I did. Gods. I did so, want to get so. into the other otherworldly things in in a few minutes because I'm trying to want to want to lead you up to that. Cause, um, okay. Okay. It's uh, it, because we're we're getting into more conspiracy stuff and and getting into the. Yeah, that's hard uh, to swallow. Definitely hard <laughs> to swallow. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to uh, some of the questions that you that you get more most often that you were telling me about uh, when you're out talking and and. Uh, some fight evolutionists. You have evolution issues here. 
Um, so if we're talking about the very beginning of the world, obviously, and and through Noah's time, and then obviously they start over again. But the big question, obviously, is is it in is it regional? Is it one area of the world that this happened to, or is it, do you believe that the whole world was flooded? Well, that's a very good question. I uh, there you know lately there has been a lot of um, uh, History Channel shows and what have you de- uh, depicting a localized flood in the Black Sea area. <clears throat> That's probably one of the most popular series, or I mean, uh, 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 theories uh, that that's been talked about, books have been written about. And yeah, I have. What it was. I've seen that one. Yeah. Okay. There, the, basically, there was a land bridge that uh, across the Bosphorus that broke suddenly, and the uh, uh, Mediterranean Sea began pouring into the Black Sea and caused a new shoreline, and. Uh, since that is near the cradle of civilization where the early settlements were said to have uh, settled down in, the theory goes that this uh, localized flood suddenly wiped out all the local residents, and because it was uh, a very early time, uh, it was it's theorized that to them this was a worldwide event because their world at that time was the shoreline of the Black Sea. Well... I, I, I have a <laughs> I have a real difficult time with that theory from several standpoints uh, because the the supposedly out of the fort uh, the, the folklore of this catastrophe was born a similar account uh, of the of the flood story which by the way was uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before Noah uh, excuse me Noah uh, Moses wrote down the uh, the flood story in Genesis. So, according to their secular theory, which has been found on stone tablets, and I note that in the book, uh, the uh, the the people, the residents, built this large boat and, and housed a bunch of animals, and 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 then a few people were saved from the flood. Well, then I got to ask a question: uh, if if this was a worldwide event to them then how in the world, I mean, why did they go about building a boat? Why didn't they just ascertain the the, the the disaster if they had a premonition of it, ascertain what it was, and make the move to a mountain or something? I, why did they why build a the boat? boat? No, it just makes no sense whatsoever. So that, that, what that does is it destroys the very folklore that they began telling as a result of this supposed world flood event to them. The second thing is that there were numerous trade routes uh, interlocking not only the Black Sea area, but other areas up in the Euphrates and what have you. So are we to assume that uh, these people were suddenly isolated and absolutely to them their world was the shoreline of the Black Sea? They they weren't aware of the bigger world that was out there. Uh, trade routes weren't coming through their areas. I just don't buy it. There's There's several inconsistencies that just don't float. Yeah, that and that. Uh, I did see that program, and so I, some of what you said was on that program, and yet you expanded on some things that I, I hadn't seen on there. So that's great um, about the landmass and breaking apart. Uh, 
just let anybody know, uh, it's a call number right now, 714-242-5145. I'm going to keep on asking questions unless somebody else uh, comes upon a question or a comment. Please share with us. Uh, We're also on chat right on Blog Talk Radio. And, of course, we're on on air live. We welcome opinions. Patty, if I may interject, uh, a third thing here is, um, is and to me, it's it's has a major impact. Animals are are well known to have this extra sensory perception, uh, mm-hmm. especially when there's a, a, a threat of danger. Yeah. Now, if uh, if if the animals were the same as animals that we have around here, then I would think that animals, in this case, would have been a lot smarter than uh, uh, the the residents around the shoreline of the Black Sea because they would have sensed the danger and they would have headed for high ground. They certainly wouldn't head for a bunch of noisy boat builders uh, and and load themselves into a boat. Well, yeah, Uh, I think so. So uh, there's a lot of things that, to me, deflate this uh, this rather weak theory. Yeah, and that is curious. I saw a cartoon the other day. I thought thought of your book and thought of you. And uh, cartoonists had these whales that were like like you know larger than the boat. And uh, Noah's wife says to Noah, says maybe we should leave the fish behind. <laughs> 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 they can they can swim. We don't need to take them in the boat. <laughs> well, now you know what. Now here's an interesting question, and, and this was a question that I posed, not necessarily to uh, 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 anticipate an answer, but it, it, it was an interesting question to me. If Noah lo- uh, loaded all kinds of different animals on the boat, uh, some of those animals, uh, otters, for instance, you know, uh, uh, seals, well, they eat fish. So I wonder. Uh, um, I, I, I wonder if, especially if you had freshwater eels. Now, did, did Noah have to load on a supply of, uh, of fish, both fed, fresh and salt water, to feed those those animals uh, while they were uh, on the boat during the flood? <laughs> I, I thought I thought of these questions too. You know, it's, uh, logistics. <laughs> you know, just a pure logistics. Of, about, uh, yeah. Well, what about whales? You know, did you know, whales are mammals, uh, and uh, <laughs> did, did he actually have to load a whale, or was a, a whale expected to survive the the flood? Yeah, there's a lot of curious questions which I can't wait to sit around at a at a feast table in the in the kingdom and have Noah uh, as a special guest and ask him. <laughs> Some real, real straight questions, you know, like, "Hey, how did you do this?" <laughs> yeah, how did, how did you how did you take care of this? Uh, how did you know when you know you had birds? Well, they could fly, so why not? Did you have to have them in the boat? <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> a lot, yeah. of, a lot oh, yeah. of great questions Perfect. there. You know, logistics that you just you think about when you think about Noah's Ark and and how in the world that that all worked out. I'm gonna. Well, I Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I'm going to have another question. But go ahead and comment, and then I'll have. Uh, I'm going to add another question. Oh, I was going to say I, I had a lot of fun with that chapter. I called it archaeology. Uh, you know, spelling it as A R K O L O G Y. Uh, yes. But I had a lot of fun with that. For instance, you know, if if we were to contemplate how many animals actually went on board that ark, 
And well, then you also have to contemplate uh, the fodder necessary to uh, feed and maintain them during that time. And so I started doing some arithmetic because we know what the size of the ark was. We have the dimensions right out of the Bible, so we know what the uh, the displacement was. It was basically uh, about fifty thousand uh, uh, cubic feet. And that, to give you an idea of that size, uh, the Titanic was about 100,000 cubic feet. Mm. Now, the Titanic had more because it was a little bit bigger ship, but more importantly, it had seven decks instead of just three. So, But when, it, when you do the arithmetic, all of a sudden, when you start considering, you know, just just the amount of hay that you would have to store to feed oh, an yeah. animal for approximately a year... All of a sudden, that 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 space gets eaten up real fast, and so there's oh, a lot definitely. of questions that would be fun. Yeah, and the ships, you know, the Titanic was one of them, but you know, even the cruise ships now, uh, they're very large, but they don't, you know, they're not out there for you know a year. They're not even out there for a month. So, yeah, they don't have to have near the amount of food that we have. They would have had then, obviously. Uh, I would think that at that point in time, they probably didn't eat as much as we do now, um, perhaps. In, in <laughs> yeah. yeah, judging from what I've heard on cruise ships, uh, the, I know. the banquet is quite a layout. <laughs> I know, and I'm, th- I'm thinking, wow, that's that's a lot of food, you know. And yeah. then you yeah. consider, okay, with Noah's time, how how would that work? Well, it, he must see, you know, God being God must have turned everybody off when it comes to eating and, and uh, having to drink, because when you think about it, fresh water, uh, they would have had to take it with them. And it would have, the buckets would have, you know, the barrels that they would have to use is quite heavy. Uh, if you think about the ships going across the ocean from uh, England to the New World, for instance, uh, they had to have all that abo- on board and oh yeah, that, man, you're right. Water, water storage was very important. Watch. They couldn't just dip over the side with a pail. I mean, that was a storm out there. You're absolutely <laughs> right. See, now that that's something I didn't even cover in the book, but there's another uh, storage item that that has to be considered in the overall space that was allocated for saving the uh, animal inventory. So, yeah, those kind of things come up. Uh, we're uh, talking to Don Jogs because he's into space and sending people to the moon. And so these kind of issues all come up. Uh, <laughs> the water storage, the uh, the refuse, it's just, you know, all that stuff. The same kind of situation. I'm going to ask you one more question. And I've got somebody on the line here. And sure. it looks like they're they're wanting to ask you a question. Let's just sure. go to them first, okay? Okay, am I up? Yep, you're up. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Hi, Don. This is Rob Reed. Uh, and, oh, hi, uh, Rob. Ha- hi. I do have a, a question about your book, um, and it's more about your approach to the way that you wrote it. Um, one of the things I really appreciated about it is that there's that you bring up a lot of great questions, and it's so tempting to want to assign like divine intervention to how the problems were solved, but you never allow yourself to do that. You you approach everything and try to find or think through the various scientific possibilities, you know, for how you know how could this have been, how could this problem have been solved like through nature uh, or through science. Uh, but my question is, 
do you do you yourself think that there was any point where there was divine intervention? I mean, all of these issues that you're raising right now, how did they how did they deal with water storage and how did they you know, how did they keep the ship clean and all of that? Do you you, you give a lot of possibilities, but do you, you yourself think that there were certain items like that where God just divinely intervened, you know, kept the water buckets filled or whatever the case is? Oh, that's a great question, Rob. Uh, that is a great question. And to answer it, uh, yes, to us, uh, from our relative standpoint, I believe that we would see some things as divine intervention. Now, let me qualify that. What 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 I firmly believe, in, and from the studying that I've done, um, God, when he, when he began by creating the universe, he began in a, in a chaotic environment. And the opposite of chaos is, is order. And in order to establish order, you need laws. And I believe God is a methodical God that way. He created laws, such as the law of gravity, uh, the, the law of weights and measures, all of those laws. And I believe that he created those laws so that as he began creating the universe and, and then uh, animals and planets and, and human beings, those laws are consistent throughout, whether it is a, uh, a uh, galaxy or whether it is a universe of a single cell, you will see a lot of the laws the same. They're identical. Now, that being said, I believe that there are a lot of laws that we don't understand, uh, or, or and, and I, I give that label loosely because I don't even know if they're laws. They could be dimensions. Uh, for instance, time. What is time? We don't understand what that is, and there's probably good reasons why we don't. Uh, so to us, whenever God uses those kind of methodologies to achieve an end and in, in creating something, to him he's using natural laws that he established and placed in order for a reason. To us, they look like divine intervention because we can't even explain what happened. I mean, um, I, I, I don't know if I if I got too <laughs> theoretic when I answered that question, but I, I believe that there is a practical side to God at all times. If I might add on if I might add on that, I know that uh, something that hit me once uh, in the very beginning of Genesis, it states that God took care of Adam and Eve. They took care of, well, they took care of the whole area, and He had water come up from the ground up. Not it wasn't raining; it was ground up in order to uh, in order to take care of the ground and the plants and and the, and the animals. So he took care of that automatically, and I, you know, don't ask me where it is. I know it's the very beginning, and it it just totally hit me one time when I was reading it, and I talked to my pastor about it at the time. It's just very curious to me that he took care of those things. Yeah, I I tend to think that there God probably intervened in a various numbers of ways. Like you know, Don, you talk about how did he, how did the ship hold together um, with the tossing around in the ocean as big as it was. Uh, you also um, deal with the question of the water that came down from the atmosphere and how could it possibly have all you know soaked into the ground or evaporated because there was so much. And on some of those questions, I tend to you know it's easier for me to deal with it 
after thinking through all the possibilities that God just dealt with it. But there were a lot of issues I really appreciated you thinking through that I've never thought of, like when they came to a rest and, and, and the ark finally stopped. Um, you know, I've always just assumed that man couldn't find it and maybe never would, and you gave a perfectly reasonable explanation being that they just needed to uh, survive, and that was the most readily available wood for building you know, uh, places right. to live right. and for, for burning. And, yeah, that made a lot of sense to me. And, and, and you know, your point um, as far as where did the water come from to flood the entire earth, well, uh, and, and Patty kind of hit on it, there was a different meteorological cycle uh, before the flood. And basically, the Bible is very, very clear about it. Uh, plants and 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 uh, seas and what have you were all uh, were all fed through underground aquifers. Well, in keeping with natural laws that God established, it would be very easy for Him to suddenly tilt the axis, and a water vapor envelope would start falling. Uh, but at the same time, it would unleash terrible tectonic activity that would unleashed all of those underground aquifers that would collapse them and the water would suddenly start surfacing. And after uh, Noah and the family and the animals started coming out of the ark, what was the first thing they did? They built an altar and God gave them a rainbow as a sign that he would never destroy humans again by water. Well, uh, that would be... uh, and don't take this wrong, that would be kind of a ho-hum uh, sign to us today because we see rainbows all the time. But think about somebody who had never seen a rainbow before because it was an underground meteorological system and suddenly it's above ground meteorological system. The rainbow would be a phenomenal sight and it would be a, a covenant that they would always I can so, imagine I, again, that. Again, I think that there's natural, uh, there's natural forces in action here. At the time, maybe they didn't understand them, but to us today, we can see both. Right. Well, thank you very much, Don. I appreciate the thought that you put into this into this book. Well, thanks for well, coming thanks by and visiting with us. You're welcome. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. Again, we have other questions that we could come forward. I know you have guests listening, so if they, anybody wishes to chat but don't want to call in, you can do that right on the front of uh, Blog Talk Radio down below where it says chat here. Uh, you can ask me a question or comment, and I will forward that to uh, you know ask Don right now, uh, and that way you can get your answers question your questions answered. Um, I'm going to move on to and just remind everybody seven one four. Two four two five one four five is your phone call. The phone number you can use. And I'm going to go to another question. Um, an evolutionary question. Okay. Okay. And this just does come and uh, it has been happening quite a bit. You either have your Christians, your devout Christians, or you have your evolutionists. Uh, why do Christians just discredit? The theory of evolution. Yeah, the, um, that is that is a very difficult question. That's why I came to realize that um, God really works with some, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but the laws as we understand them today, they're very very simple. They're not 
mathematically uh, abstract. Uh, they're very. Uh, take a look, for instance, um, uh, Albert Einstein's uh, theory of relativity, E equals mc squared. Well, that's a very, very simple equation. And the reason why it's so simple and elegant is because the laws that are behind it, speed, velocity, and weight, uh, those are all fixed laws that are very, very measurable, and they're constant, and they're consistent all the time. So that means uh, that, means that these laws are, are in effect. Well, then you've got to ask yourself a question. If these are such simple, elegant laws, the ones we understand, then how is it that we have the intelligence to understand them? You can't create something from nothing. If we were a product of evolution, how do we come to such a, an evolutionary platform that we can understand ourselves, we can actually start understanding the very creator himself? That, that seems an enigma to me. I, I, I don't see that possible. Another thing that I have problems with the evolutionary theory is that uh, it, it's basically a strong, survive, weak, perish world. That's a very brutal world. That, in the animal world, uh, you either run fast or get eaten. I mean, that's that's how it works. I've, have you ever seen a sympathetic lion when it's hungry, or a crocodile? You know, it just it's not in their nature. Well, well, then I have to ask you a question. If we're part of an evolutionary chain that started with pond scum, then how in the world did we develop? Or no, no. Let me re-question or rephrase that. How did a concept, an emotion like mercy or love ever develop in an evolutionary world? Because in an evolutionary world, those things will cancel each other out. Now, those aren't my words. That's John Nash's words. He won a Nobel Prize because he discredited the theory of evolution as it was used by Adam Smith in uh, his uh, American economics, you know, trying to explain that. Of, of greater importance, though, is that uh, John Nash said that in a eat or eat a being world, uh, concepts such as emotion and love could never develop because they would be filtered out. They would be a weakness that would that would uh, slow down that particular chain of, of of animal survival, and it would be gone. So, we have uh, Christians have problems with evolution from a very very elemental standpoint. Now. Can we produce a God and say, here's your creator right here, end of story? No, we can't. So what does that do? That means that we have a theory too. That means we have to scrounge for uh, for uh, converts just like the, the evolutionary theorists do. All I'm saying is that if you look at it objectively, side by side, without all the politics uh, and, and educational politics, especially behind it right now, the theory of evolution doesn't hold much water. It, it's a pretty loose theory, I think. Does that answer, does that your, question? answer your question? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we have problems with it. It's not because we're Bible beaters or we're narrow-minded. You know, you, if you if you don't believe in God, you're going to go to hell. It's not, it's not that subject at all. And yet we're being posed as that kind of a of a creature whenever we say, well, now, just a minute here. You know, uh, if we really looked at this from a practical standpoint, their their theories don't hold any more water than ours do. Well, I know that, that uh, we have 
been given the exercise of being able to uh, choose our freedom of choice. Uh, and, of course, that's one reason why we question such things as you know, Noah's time and, and the, the stories in the Bible. And we, we question, uh, we're able to question. That's a pretty awesome thing to give us, the right to question uh, the Creator and, and what happened. So yeah, we say, manifest humans. Humans manifest a, a intellectual quality, a sentient quality that... <clears throat> I don't understand how it would have developed naturally because I've never seen any other animal uh, that displays intelligence like we do. Okay, uh, I see samples of intelligence, yes, but not on a scale that, that man does. Nothing even close to it. So i got to ask you, uh, where did that kind of intelligence, the ability to understand himself and his creator, where did that come from? That, that is not an evolutionary process. That is something that's coded into us, and it's something that, that guides us, a moral compass. <laughs> where, where did a moral compass come from? Have you ever seen a uh, an animal with morals? I've never, ever seen an animal with morals, nor have I ever read about one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think an animal would say, hmm, should I, should I really be eating this animal? Exactly. Exactly. Should I be worshiping this animal? If they're hungry, they lay in the shade and and brush flies off of their face. If they're hungry, they go take down an animal. Period. That's their life. That's the way they exist. That's how that's how it works. Speaking of animals, uh, one of the questions we have here is: If the Earth is only six thousand years old, how do you explain dinosaurs? Uh, Dinosaurs are big animals. <laughs> There's a big well for that reason. Uh, how do you explain oil and coal too? Because oil and coal comes from decomposed dinosaurs and vegetation mass that's locked underground for uh, in, in a light-deprived environment for hundreds of thousands of years. So if that's the case, and according to the Bible, uh, the Hebrew Bible, uh, Earth is only six thousand years old. Well, then that puts a Christian in a rather delicate position. And I want to tell you something. That question uh, probably is something that Christians avoid more than evolutionists because it's a difficult question to ask. What it does is it, it, it actually forces you to question the Bible itself and say, well, this doesn't make sense. If I'm standing there looking at a 30,000-year-old Neanderthal man, then how am I to believe practically that the earth is only 6,000 years old? Well, the answer to that question is actually in the Bible itself. Uh, and and uh, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm looking for a short way to explain that. Uh, basically, it comes down to a question, what is time? You answer me what time is, and then I can answer that question. Because until somebody can tell me what time is and define it, uh, there, it's impossible to answer that question. Even in the Bible, uh, it talks about a 6,000-year literal or a six-day literal creation event, 24 hours a day uh, uh, for for seven days. He rested one day, so that means six days of creation. Well, what are those days? Because in Isaiah, uh, excuse me, in Psalms, uh, we find out that uh, to you uh, uh, a thousand years is as a moment and 10,000 years as two moments. I mean, 
even the Bible uh, attempts successfully to mix it up when it talks about the quality of time and what time is. See, we think of time as a 24-hour day uh, or 30-day month, 365-day year. But that is not time. That's that's our planetary cosmology. That's that's our planet. That's our planet circling around the Earth or the uh, the Sun. It takes 365 days to circle around. It's about 25,000 miles in diameter, and so it rotates at a speed of 1,000 miles per hour. And thus we have a 24-hour day. Well, that that that's cosmology. That's not time. And Einstein went one step further. He says, now, wait a minute. We should be measuring time relative to, to a position. And he's, and he's very right. For instance, if we're standing on, on Earth, we're traveling at 1,000 miles an hour. But if we're in a uh, spaceship landing on Neptune, we're traveling on Neptune at 5,800 miles per, am- uh, per hour. So... That means time is relative to where you are. Let's, let's take it one step further. At a galactic perspective, the, the, uh, galaxy is, uh, the Milky Way galaxy is rotating approximately 24,308 miles per hour. Okay, so now we've gone from 1,000 miles per hour to 24,308 miles per hour, which is the right time. Which is time measured by? How does God measure that time? Let's take it one step further. Because he created the universe, right? Well, the universe, the two-mass galaxy, was it's, it's the edge of what we understand today about the universe. Okay, that universe is, is astronomical in size. It's filled with all kinds of galaxies. And it rotates at about 524,520,000 miles per meter. So now I ask you a question. <laughs> uh, when... When God inspired Moses to write about a day, was he using the universal perspective or was he using the earth perspective? We don't well, know. right. That's the thing I would think that Noah would probably be writing about his own time frame. It would be a little too much for him to, I think, really understand the concept of what God time would be. You know what, Patty? That is exactly the same I, in fact, I kind of developed a theory. I called it the keep it simple for Moses theory. But uh, when I was putting together a uh, slide presentation for, for one of my uh, 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 public meetings, uh, I was going through the Bible and I, was, uh, and I found, of course, you know, the, uh, the creation event. Uh, and uh, I mentioned, I used that text as, as the days mentioned. And, of course, Moses was the author of Genesis. Well, then when I went over into Psalms, I found uh, the excerpt about the 1,000 and 10,000-year excerpt. Well, most people, including myself, understand that Psalms was written primarily by David. But guess what? <laughs> I discovered something. The, uh, the uh, particular verse that I pulled, and I don't have it right off the top of my head right now, but uh, the particular vo- verse that I pulled was uh, from Psalms, was written by Moses. It was a contribution by Moses in the book of Psalms. So, (coughs) suddenly I realized, hey, perhaps Moses understands more about time than I thought he did, 
because if he uses it once in a relative concept and another in another relative concept, he might understand more of the properties than I really gave him credit for. Now, here, here here's the uh, here here's the crux of the whole matter. I believe that time is a mystery, and it's a mystery for a very important reason. Because if we understood the concept of time, it means that we'd be able to control it, harness it, and use it. And frankly, there are things that we could do if we understood the concept of time that would destroy humanity as, as we know it very quickly. Because we have the ability to go forward and back in time and all this kind yes. of stuff. And, and of course, that's nature, we, we can't handle that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite subjects, as you know. Uh, yes, time I travel, <laughs> and and yeah, messing up time. As I always say, that in order to mess up time, you have to know your history. Uh, you can't mess up your history until you know what it was in the first place. But then, of course, if you got it messed up, then what was the real history? So, <laughs> it, yes, it's exactly. A, it's a mind-boggling and question. And that's uh, that's that's why. That question is probably uh, the two questions that I get the most, uh, one you haven't brought up yet, but, but that is the second most common question that I have brought up, is how do you explain this 6,000-year-old thing? Uh, frankly, all I can do is develop a theory, and I've developed a theory based on my research. Others will have to do the same. But I'll guarantee you, those theories, mine and those who think this thing through, are just as good and 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 just as believable as a theory of evolution, because that is a theory too. Because well, and, and the know, reason why it's a theory is because evolutionists don't understand time; they can't answer that question either. And you know that there are times when we don't may not understand something at this at this point in in history, but two hundred years from now. We may find out that we're that the Earth is not six thousand years old, but it's actually a lot older because we can dig deeper into the Earth's core in order to find out, you know, or understand well, me, things that we don't understand now. To me, I mean, um, we've already dug deep enough. We found more overwhelming evidence that the Earth is more than six thousand years old, and, but that's not really the question. The question is the biology. You know, uh, according to the Bible, the biology is six thousand years old. The Earth could be millions of years old because it was composed of stardust. Who knows? But um, but the biology on this planet, uh, a lot of people say, well, okay, that's that, that's six thousand years old. No, 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 because there's pools of oil, there's diamonds, there's Neanderthal skeletons, there's T Rexes. You know, all of those things say no. The, this Earth is much older, and there's mysteries here that we haven't even really scratched yet. Well, yeah, one question on here that, that I find particularly interesting. Uh, time travel is my one true love, but uh, you were talking about energy and matter. How does one create something from nothing? Energy matter from no energy matter. Yes. Yes, well... <laughs> That is a very good question because uh, you can't, by the laws that we under, as, as we understand them now, the natural laws as we understand them, uh, everything comes from something. I, I can't give you one instance of something coming from nothing. 
but yet that's what we're asked to uh, to uh, accept with the theory of evolution. Somehow, that first cell organized itself mathematically. It organized itself, and then suddenly, without any kind of rational explanation, it animated itself. Well, uh, that's that's something from nothing. I, that's impossible by the laws that we understand these days, anyway. And says, how did you, uh, how did the first style organism suddenly become animated then? Well, that, that's it. Uh, according to the Bible, uh, it became animated with a soul, okay, which was uh, described in the Bible as a breath, a breath of wide breath from the Creator. Uh, who knows what that is? A spirit, okay. So, in other words, what it tells me is there are two parts to a to a uh, human machine or an animal. Uh, there is the flesh, and then there is the spirit. There are two parts. Well, um, uh, uh, that's something from that, that's that's something from something. If you put a soul into flesh and animate it, all of a sudden it comes to life. Well, then you have a a a organism with a dual component, a unseen spirit and a live flesh uh, uh, body. Uh, does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And of course, it brings another question. It says uh, that would be then, what does that make a zombie? Well, <laughs> they may be fun at the theater, but I just don't think there is a zombie. <laughs> I, I mean, that, now we're into the uh, we're in the netherworld, you know. The, we're we're into that creative machine that uh, is part of our body, which is just boundless. And, and I love the stuff, but you know, zombies and stuff like that. I'd, no such thing. No. No vampires, no one of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. There's, you know, there there are different people in the world, uh, and these kind of people, we we have been hiding some, who just seem just too weird for you know normal people who can't handle different people, and so we find that there's some people who are have been actually hiding from uh, humankind because they they don't want to deal with uh, things, you know, people being uh, against them. And so you, you never know. You never know. You, they might very well be some vampires, and, of course, they probably wouldn't be what, like we think they are. So they'd be, they'd be different. Because otherwise, why would we get these stories, kind of like you're talking about uh, the story of Noah and, and how, well, why would he have a ship if he didn't, if you know, the uh, why would the animals actually load themselves onto the ship or go to the ship instead of reaching higher ground? There's questions there. So you're thinking, well, then if we didn't have so many stories about vampires and werewolves and, and things like that, uh, there wouldn't be stories if there wasn't some shred of truth somewhere there. And I understand I, exactly what you're saying. Uh, even the Bible has has mentioned a... Uh, a legend, if you will. I, I kind of classify those as legends. But in the Bible, there's one mentioned uh, quite often called the Le Leviathan. Now, 
to my knowledge, nobody has ever seen a Leviathan. We don't even know what it is, but there's a very good description of it in Job, uh, which to me sounds, I, I don't know how otherwise, to it, it describes perfectly the English folklore dragons. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Now, why was that in the Bible? Was that a real creature? Was it a legend? I don't know. That That is truly one of the mysteries that uh, just don't have enough information yet to really ascertain exactly what was going on there. And maybe you could categorize, you know, the zombies and the werewolves and Bigfoot and some of these legends that we live with uh, the, the same way. There, there are unexplainable things that go on that we can't explain. Uh, some of them could be satanically manipulated. Who knows? There's a lot of things we don't understand because we only understand one dimension. There are other dimensions. <laughs> well, some people do have uh, capability of understanding other dimensions, but that gets too confusing. Um, yeah. I do have one question from uh, from a fan of yours in town here, uh-huh. and his question was he wanted to know what was coming for you. As you know, He wants to know if you're writing another book. Oh, and okay. and oh, if yeah. so, what is it, and when can he expect to see it? <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, I am writing a book. As a matter of fact, it's a trilogy. Uh, I've uh, I've I spent a lot of time studying last day events uh, and and the nature of Satan himself because I'm a sort of a believer in uh, the Napoleonic concept that you keep your friends close but you keep your enemies closer. Uh, and so in that aspect, I, I I like to understand as much as I possibly can about Satan himself because he's the gamer that's going to cause us a lot of trouble. Well, in, in of course, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation, there's a, a lot of prophecies that deal with last-day world events. Well, what I'm doing is I'm threading those last-day events together in a storyline. It's actually a trilogy uh, that I call the Dome and uh, that will be dealing with last day events, but it will also carry us beyond that point into the millennial reign. Now, this is a situation where we're going to actually live in a different world after Satan is bound for a while. This is all biblical, by the way. He's going to be bound for a thousand years. Well, during that time, civilization is going to exist, and it sounds to me like it's going to exist somewhat like our civilizations exist today. The only difference is is that we will no longer have to deal with this sin nature that is embedded in each of us at birth. We don't have to deal with this constant choose right or choose wrong kind of thing because uh, our bodies are going to change. Well, in this new world, there's a lot of things to explore, like the economics of a world like that, Uh, the nationalities, the governments. All of those things are things that I want to explore and so I'm doing that in this trilogy. Uh, through uh, it's actually going to be through uh, a set of characters. It's a it's a kind of a quirky church board. So we're talking about fiction then, correct? Not yeah, fiction. It's, it's going to be Christian fiction. Now that question was from Craig Porter from Moon Society. He couldn't be with you today because he's on his way into town for the meeting. So he oh, wanted to make sure that he, as I asked him, so was there any particular question that you have? And, of course, he, his one is, you know, he's very interested in what you wrote, and he has shared it with others. And that's really what it's all about, is sharing your book with others, is it not? 
Well, I really appreciate that. And again, thank you so much for your time and your uh, coordinating efforts on this, Patty. I do have a quest. I know that Don Jocks is uh, coming online here, and he has a couple questions for you before you leave. So hang on. I'm going to put you on hold sure, sure. and pull him in to make sure that he's there, and then he has questions for you, okay? So everyone, hang on, and just uh, just because we're uh, taking a break here for for a minute, uh, please, any guests who have last minute questions, please share them now. Seven one four two four two five one four five, or also log in because we do have another guest coming on board, and uh, the, we're kind of mixing them together at this point. We want uh, he's got some questions for you, so I'm gonna put you on hold for thirty seconds here. That's why I was stumbling sometimes because I was concentrating on answering that question and not listening to the conversation. Mom. Yes. Yeah. This is Patty through KWAD Radio. We're live again, and we've got uh, Don Jocks on the uh, on the microphone as well, and he'd like hi, to John, be able hi, to. John. Hey Don, how you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, that sounds like a New York accent. <laughs> I slip in and out of accents all over the place, just being a chameleon. <laughs> as, a no, as a novel author, I'm constantly thinking about the newest characters that I have an interest in portraying in a book, and so I'll slip into character sometimes. It's um, it's kind of like they did a presentation on one of the actor shows not too long ago, and they talked about how characters 
actors will slip in and out of character sometimes. You know, uh, um, Robin Williams was classic for that. On oh, Hot man, Show. yeah. Slip in yeah. and out Good of characters left there. and right. Yes, and I kind of sometimes tend to do that, uh, whether it be just sitting down talking like a down-home cowboy from way down south or, you know, flipping into <laughs> a wee bit of the, the, the English or the Irish from wherever and... Um, a wee pop of the morning to you, lad. Aye, and it is. A grand day it is today. You're going to let me introduce you, lad. Well, is that an introduction yeah, or what? Yeah, go ahead. Join in your show anytime you want to, Patty. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to say, what is this? Okay, I got the two Dons here. and uh, That sounds bad enough as it is. I know, I know. So... The idea here is that you brought up your new books that you have coming up that you're working on, and it's got the whole 2012 uh, conspiracy idea to it. And so I thought this would be really cool to get the two of you. If you have, if you have a little bit of time, you have a little bit of time, Don. Sure, I sure do. Okay, I, I guess I gotta say on which one, Don W or Don J? You know, DJ or <laughs> DW. <laughs> well, okay, Don, you keep the New York accent. I'll keep the, the Scottish brogue. How's that? We'll mess her up. Well, the only problem is, is I can never keep any one accent for any length of time. Yeah, you do too. Okay, so fine. Well, we'll make it work. So first thing, let's let's take a look at something, and and I'd like to share something with you to give us a, a foundation to start with. I've just put up a new blog entry on my website, um, and she, Patty has put that link on, on the, the chat. chat of the Blog Talk Radio site. Uh, take a look at it and just kind of familiarize yourself, and I'm going to kind of go over it a little bit. Um, the idea being, you know, as, as we approach the end of 2011, and we see the different things that are going on throughout the world, we have uh, storms, and we've got volcanoes, and we've got tsunamis, and we got all sorts of stuff going on, but most of us in the world today don't really pay that much attention to it because, oh, well, there were hurricanes last year, and there were tornadoes last year, and there were snowstorms last year. But about a year or two ago, I started looking at some things because something got my attention. I said, well, wait a minute. Um, when the 2004 earthquake hit, um, we saw the resurgence a lot of the 2012 fear-mongering that was going on, and I decided to take a look. And I clicked on the one of the links that's in the blog there that says, um, if you go to, uh, say, the earthquake history link, 1550 to 2011, you can see that there is a upward-rising trend in the reported earthquakes, in history. Now, this is Google History Timeline Tool here, and they have a whole series of links below it to for somebody who wanted to research this further to find out more about the various different earthquakes and some of the different things. Now, one of the things that I also did is I went to... If you want to give that to me, I can put, and put it on Facebook. I can move it oh, over. It's, it's, you, you can copy it right off of the blog site. Oh, okay. So if you go to my blog site... And you see there's a geomagnetic storm history link. Okay. And there are several links there. And what I wanted to do was to see if there were corollaries. Because I was interested in debunking this whole 2012 thing. Uh-huh. 
Now, Don, you've actually done similar research in a different ray, correct? Yes, I have. And, and awesome. by the way, uh, I've debunked the 2012. I mean, we don't know when it's going to get, but uh, but there are definitely trends that are marking themselves. So. <clears throat> and so, in your book, what do, what are you discussing? Well, okay. First of all, the uh, the last day events. I, I I use the Bible as a foundation, and uh, one of the foundational prophecies is that. There's going to be a lot of entertainment, shall I say, centering around the Middle East. Um, uh, there's going to be things happening, and they're going to have an effect, a global effect. And so I keep my eye on the Middle East. I, I, I watch and see what's developing there, and that gives me sort of a rough timeline uh, because we really don't know when it's going to hit, 2012, 2014, who knows. We don't know any of that kind of thing. But... Uh, there are events that are key, what I call monumental keystone events that are uh, centered in the Middle East. And when those fall into place, and a lot of them already have, then other these will trigger other events. And and that's that's pretty much how I've, I've studied it. Now, I use the Bible as a foundation, but then I go into secular works and I start finding patterns and things that actually strengthen what is already there in uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelations. It's already there, and it just sort of unravels itself and, and becomes less of a mystery as it falls into place and becomes a reality. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, I kind of took a different track in looking at the trends that the Earth gives us, or rather the sun and the solar system and everything. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that the signs that we see in civilization of the events in the Middle East and also now in the Arabian uh, Peninsula and North Africa of these countries, just wholesale changes occurring and countries just literally falling by the wayside are signs yeah. that they're that there is indeed a huge change coming. And other other powers rising up. That's, that's a monumental, that's the stunning events that are occurring today. There, there's things that are happening now in the world that I would have never believed I'd have seen in my lifetime. I just, you know, let's take America. We're $14 trillion in debt. Now, in my lifetime, I never thought that I would see that, nor would I even imagine seeing a president actually, or not a president, but an administration moving us towards a communistic viewpoint. And it's actually being grasped by the, most of the populace. I don't know if it's through apathy or if it's through just uh, downright honoriness, you know, yeah, let's, let's all be communists now. <laughs> I just never thought I would see that kind of thing in my lifetime. But uh, here they are, and it's happening. Well, yeah. Very one quickly, of the actually. One, yeah, one of the things that I am, uh, that to me is a major trigger for last day events, uh, I, I mean catastrophes to start hitting, biological, meteor, meteorological, I don't know. They're going to come from all angles. But the trigger point seems to be, as far as I've been able to see, is that the United States drops out as a superpower. Well, 
We're fourteen trillion in debt. We're heading that way fast, folks. We are no longer we're we're a consumer nation. We're not an export nation at all anymore. We're importers. And with this kind of a debt load, we are fast seeing our society starting to dissolve, just like Rome, uh, the, the Romans did, okay? Well, the one big ace-in-the-hole ally that Israel has always had is America. If all of a sudden it doesn't have that card to play, what do you think is going to happen? Because there are no other nations on this earth that really appreciate the Israeli uh, nation at all. In fact, they hate them. I think there's, they, wanna, there's they want some, to destroy them. There, there are some other attributes that come into play as well that are not necessarily based on a religious viewpoint, but just on, on a historical or a political viewpoint from the standpoint the United States is the only nation on the planet that has the principle of the freedoms that we hold dear built into it from the get-go. Um, Not the, anymore, though. We lose well, we, the freedoms we are still there. Power, we lose our ability to project our freedom. That may be true, but the aspect of the individual American who has grown up an American multiple generations assumes several key freedoms that true. they will, if put push comes to shove, they will jump on those freedoms, and they will become a rallying cry, assuming something happens that's going to rally the citizenry. Now, yeah, I agree with you. Not necessarily. Um, I'm speaking in terms that, you know, well, it has to be a revolution. Said, if if uh-huh. we're going the direction we're going now, there has to be a revolution, a 180 turn from where the direction we're going now. Well, I tend to favor an idea of a more global situation that's going to trigger, that's going to be the re, the end result. The global situation is one where, as the Bible talks about a great change, I think that geological, um, uh, celestial, and a whole slew of things that the Mayans observed but didn't understand, and I think they recorded something in cycles. And while I am a Christian, I do believe that there is knowledge that pagans had that we as Christians lack today. Not so much in deep theology, but in an understanding of the world around us. I'm not one to believe in gods of the grass, gods of the earth, gods of the sky, Um but I do believe that there is knowledge and appreciation and understanding for the earth, the stewardship of the earth, that we have lost, that the older pagan faiths retained. And in that retention, they studied the earth in ways that even our science today doesn't. And I think Uh that there is a blending of these two approaches that needs to happen if we're going to weather the storm that is coming. And I think both religiously and geologically, the storm is at is at our door. Um, while I take while I take a rather neutral view in my blog entry, I simply point out that uh, geomagnetic storms have been increasing in both frequency and intensity. Uh, volcanic eruptions, both intensity and frequency, earthquakes, tsunamis. We have the NASA warning about a solar storm sometime 
2012 to 2014. They're not sure when. Uh, but then we go to another step. What is one of the lessons that we hear throughout uh, the last 50 to 100 years is that if we ignore history, we are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And so I took a look back in history, and I took the Mayan calendar cycle, and I went back 5,000 years, and I found something rather uh, unnerving. That if we go back to 5,000 years ago, which is roughly 3,000 to 3,100 B.C., there was also a great change at that time. Civilization sprung up on the earth in multiple locations. All of a sudden, archaeologists, uh, scientists don't really understand how it could have blossomed so quickly and so strongly at that time in history. There is yeah, very they little. Ordered. They were ordered civilizations. They weren't exactly. Just... Yeah, exactly. they, they were technically ordered. Uh, I know what you mean. That, that is, I understand where you're going there. Mm -hmm. If we go even further back, there are hints and suggestions that in roughly 8,500, there were similar events of catastrophic geological and celestial events that suggest that this cycle that the Mayans refer to is indeed there and it exists. As we look at theology and we look at the idea of a beginning and an end, I wonder sometimes because that idea of a beginning and an end is in conflict with the principle that God is all-knowing and has been around forever. That would suggest that the beginning and the end that we take from theology may more likely be a, a beginning and end of a repeating cycle that we as a species and we as a people are to grow. Now, mind you, I'm not suggesting reincarnation. Uh-uh, don't want to go there. That no, gets I, I understand. Absolutely. I, I do understand what you're saying. Here's the one thing, though, and, and maybe you can ponder this and, and think about this one, that I can't come to grips with, and it's basically this. Humans, for as long as uh, they've recorded themselves in civilizations, have tried to fix problems, order themselves, uh, and, and overcome the obstacles that are put in front of them, Build building civilizations all the time. But the, the thing that I see cycle is that when left to ourselves, we can build, we can create, but we also end up destroying. There's always that element, that negative element, that comes in, destroys what we've done. There's always one guy that says, eh, wait a minute. I don't buy into all this. I want to destroy it, you know, and it's either it's through revolution, through battles, through whatever. So men left to themselves seem to cycle in a destructive cycle. The only thing that I see saving that, and this is the purpose for the Bible, is that we have a creator that steps in and says, you know what, if I left you guys to yourselves, you'd kill each other. There's, there's no hope for you. But if you do it this And, and our history bears that out. I mean, you you look at the development right. of the, the Roman Empire. It was built on war. The Roman Empire, even though they they established great public works and arts and sciences, it was built on the backs of the soldiers who went out and killing and maiming and conquering lands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they they, to, they developed the broadsword, and that gave them a, an an advantage over every army in the world at that time. But exactly. sooner or later, 
that this thing cycles through. You know, you get the these common people that that want, you know, we want bread, and you got the uh, the factions. Well, back then they weren't Republicans and Democrats; they were uh, Republicans and uh, what are they? Uh, I can't think of their names now. Anyway, it was the two factions, and it was always, you know, let's build a bigger government to take care of all of us so we don't have to worry about it, or let's work for what we get and let's build an empire that way. There's always well, these opposing is, factions. Exactly, and and I think if we look in, in more recent history, we see the collapse of the Soviet Union as a, another good example. Uh, Great this was example. a Great uh, an, a huge literal empire in in a sense of of every aspect of it with central control central distribution and if as we look closely at the soviet union and its efforts its people were literally starving because of that central control and this is another example of of where i like to look beyond theology and beyond politics and look at what history and i mean deep history from the pagan days can tell us in that and we also look at Native Americans and they can share with us that when we look beyond ourselves and we work in harmony, notice I said harmony, not balance, when we work with harmony with nature, we can gain the benefits of technological prowess. Ah, but see that now that's where I differ. I, I don't think we can work with nature. I think there is always one person that will come I mean, ask yourself this question. We saw the collapse of the most, the second most powerful nation on earth, Russia. We saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. And yet, we are watching America going in the same direction as that right now. And nobody seems to care. Do a thing about it. Why? I, I think I think people care, but in our society, most people don't understand the value of their vote. They don't understand that they can they actually have the opportunity to do something about this. And so they, they don't They don't understand vote. or they don't care. It's one of it, the two. I think yeah, I think when I talk to people today on the street and in the course of work and so forth, most of it is that there, you have a large block of people who don't believe their vote counts. It's not that they don't care. They would go vote if they thought their vote would matter. Um, but with the rise of the special interest groups, the unions, um, the associations that go to Washington and the plead their case, yeah. Yeah. Corporations, corporations and banks, I think our nation has now been taken over, not so much on a political diet, disc, a political division of Democrat versus Republican, but more of an economic division between the haves and the have-nots, the corporations against the people, in that corporations yeah. such as, and corporations being not only big profit corporations like GM and, and, and Madoff's big financial company, but also corporations on the lines of the AARP and the unions, these are also corporations, albeit nonprofit. But I guarantee you, these people make profit. And these corporations, because of their very entity, compete with the national government in what they can do and what they can use the laws to set up and accomplish. In this way, we have the same 
diametrically opposed forces that, as you said earlier, that the Soviet Union faced. You had the military establishment, which was trying to overlord itself over everybody. You had the mob establishment in that day that was sequestering food and, and corruptive influences for themselves. And then you had the government entities that were keeping themselves in power because they were playing with the mobs and the, and the military. And then you had the poor sap citizens who were getting stuck out in the cold. And we see this very same four-way division in this country now with well, the profit-making corporations. That's what I'm saying now. With, with Russia as an example, Rome is a more uh, later example, Russia as a recent example, why, if we're able to save ourselves, why aren't we doing that now? And I don't see it. And the reason why is because we require something else we, besides human intervention because humans left to themselves, we'll end up destroying ourselves. I see the cycle, and I don't see any interruption to it. And I'm watching it in our nation right now as an example. But there's lots of other things. So I'm having a – where I have a real problem is uh, I need to see something that steps in and says, you know, uh, let, let me help you along here. <laughs> I, I'm oversimplifying it, but there has to be something greater than humans that can step in and say, let me help you along. Humans trying to outthink uh, these catastrophes is impossible because we can't control them. There I we disagree with control, you. Well, I we, think... we might be able to control events here on Earth, but we can't well, control so that. A, a, a meteorite the size of New York heading towards us or a solar yeah, right. radiation burst. I, the, the point of disagreement that I focus on has to do with whether this all-powerful God is going to intercede on our behalf. I think that he did that once before, as you talked about earlier, with, with Noah. He interceded. He rid the world of all its evil influences in one fell swoop and, in the process, promised never to do that again. Um, it would almost take a similar event to put us back on track with his intervention at this time. Well, he said I, that he wouldn't do that by flood. He, No, he said he'd never yeah, destroy it. he won't it. do it by flood. He'll do it with a meteorite this time, or he'll do it with oh. a solar burst this time. And I <laughs> thought he said he'd never destroy the whole earth again. No. No, no by, water. Okay. by water. That's all he promises, by water. Yeah. Well, so we know we ain't going to die in tidal waves. We're probably going to fry. And judging from the <laughs> weather out here in Phoenix today, I'd say that's a likelihood. <laughs> I have an alternative scenario for you. Uh, the the part of my focus on these geological events is is that I think that events are already in motion to cleanse the earth of many of the the influences and things that we face and not so much to discriminately and it, it'll be much like the floods of the the whole world flood of of before in that when you look at and you project these events just as a handful of events and you coordinate these events together, we see the potential of worldwide catastrophe on a geological scale. You tie into that the economic issues facing Europe and the Arab states. You tie into that the uh, massive changes happening in this country. When you put 
the loss of life count at what these events suggest? The idea comes to mind of the old Western term culling the herd by half. By the end, and the Bible of, says by a third, so you're close. Yeah, Bible by, says that it'll be a by third the end of this the decade. Humans on the earth will be wiped out. I'm 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 firmly believing that this is going to happen before the end of the decade. Um, do I think it'll change our technology? Do I think it'll change our society? I think only in ways where we will rebuild. Unlike the Roman Empire, which collapsed from within, I think that I have great hope for us as humans in the lessons that we have learned not only from our theology, uh, and that theology being all of the theologies around the planet, there are lessons to be learned from them all. I think that when this next series of catastrophes occurs, we as a species will recover. Um, we will grow, as did Noah and his family grow from them. But I think we're going to grow very different. I do believe... Well, I don't know. I kind of think it'll be the same. We seem to cycle all the time. We grow and well, then we decay. Then we destroy, then we grow, and then we decay. The cycle is that, repeatable. I Absolutely. And and I think there's there's something to be said for looking back in history to look at what lessons are there. Civilization blossomed and grew 5,000 years ago, and it's only taken us a pittance of 5,000 years to practically destroy ourselves, what, four or five times already? I mean, the Romans were pretty much wiped out by the barbarians. The Russians and the Mongols were at it two or three times. Uh, the Chinese and the Japanese were at it several times. Um, I don't know, England and Ireland and have Africa's been, at, been a, at each other for for centuries, and yet well, they yeah. continue to thrive. And and that is that is true. We we go to neutral corners, we lick our wounds, we come out, we make peace for a while until something happens. Uh, again, like Archduke Ferdinand, some stupid moron gets his head up his backside, thinking he'll be famous for five minutes, and it triggers a cascade world war. I think that. <laughs> yeah. Did it not? Is that not the sad case? That it was some yin yang yeah, body get his name some, in the paper? Some nutcase that decided to uh, assassinate a dictator, and then boom, all these alliances folded everybody into World War One. So yeah. exactly, and World War Two followed the same pattern. Uh, Hitler yeah. got up his yin yang to go do something, and everybody thought, oh well, it's just like the guy from Ferdinand, and we don't want to do the same mistakes again. And he walks all over four countries before anybody does anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and the pendulum swings back and forth until we hit a point where everything comes together at once, and we hit that cycle point, and everybody pays a price. Those that are left. <laughs> Learn the lesson. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that uh, what I'm seeing now, uh, biblically, is that these cycles are not going to be just uh, destruction survival cycles anymore. What's going to hit now is going to be so devastating and so uh, all-encompassing that the only thing that's going to save us is the Creator Himself. And when I say save us, I mean He's going to put a stop to it, basically intercede before the entire uh, uh, planet just goes down in an ash cube. So, 
And, and that that's what I see happening. It's We've seen this cycle repeat itself often enough to know that man left to himself can't save himself. So there's going to be another series of catastrophes that are going to indemnify the fact that the only thing that's going to save us is is what the Bible has to say about saving ourselves. So, uh, so, so you, you think know, it's interesting. Thing, I, I, go ahead. So you think that things that are going on, uh, the 2012, so to speak, 2012 idea, not necessarily mm-hmm. that it's in 2012, but that these catastrophes would happen and uh, reduce the ranks, so to speak. Uh, oh, but man, you, absolutely. Absolutely. But you're thinking that God will intercede and stop all this? He, he will or do you think that God has had his finger in the destroyed. earth's core stirring it up yeah, yeah, to I mean, clean out know. the planet? Yeah, right. <laughs> and and he will intercede, but it's going to be it's going to be a different cycle of catastrophes this time. It's not going to be like we've ever seen before. It's going to be it's going to be something that escalates with, you know, San Andreas fault. Who knows? Okay. It's going to escalate from there and it's going to start build to such a horrible crescendo that even the agnostics are going to say, Man, we need savings by somebody, something. Bring it on, you know, let's let's or or else they're they're crying for the mountains to fall on them because they just don't even want to face this kind of a life anymore. That's that's in the Bible. That now that it, tells me that we're we're looking at a different situation now that's going to destroy all national and governmental fabric, economic fabrics. All those things are going to be by the wayside. This is going to be survival now on a on a global scale. And we're going to fail. The thing that blew me away is recently I, I've I found that the earth is flipping over different axes. We are going to, in in essence, to me, it reminds me of uh, time, you know, hourglass. And that, okay, we're done with this era. It, it, our sand is running out. So we flip over the hourglass and start over again. And I was thinking that if, if this what this what up, what world would be coming to. Right. What what I'm thinking is that if there wasn't somebody to flip that hourglass over, at right. this time the sands would run out. Right. This time I mean, they would run out. There would be no flipping it over now. Earth on but, its own, on its own, there's no way. There's no way other than either some some force or God or you know whatever you wanted to look to believe to do the flipping. Right. To, See, now Don has got it right. I, Every every disaster that has hit since the flood, because that was a global disaster, there was only six people left, or excuse me, seven. But every event that's happened after that, every disaster that's happened after that, men have been able to pull themselves by the boot, bootstraps, build new civilizations, build new order, and start cycles. Okay, We have seen that in history predominantly all the way throughout the uh, the Babylonian Empire, the uh, Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, so forth, on all the way down. But now, now there's something that's going to happen on a natural scale that's going to upset the apple cart like the flood did. And there's no way that we're going to save ourselves, and there's going to be more survivors this time, but only because 
a supernatural power steps in and says, enough of this. you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Okay. That's what makes this different. We're no longer in a cycle where we can pull up our, uh, ourselves by our bootstraps. We're going to enter a cycle where it will be impossible. We, we are going to see every hope that man can hold a candle to saving ourselves. We're going to see that blow out. That's going to you know, be the difference in the, in the catastrophes that we see coming. You know, you you brought up something else that I've been considering for some time, and that is is that in the same way that a young child who has, for example, broken their mother's favorite vase, so to speak, uh-huh. and they know inwardly that, oh, the crap's going to hit the fan. They are in trouble now. And they will go around for days waiting for the hammer to fall. Uh-huh. And I think that there is in our psyche as human beings something within us that is telling us the same thing. And I say that because if you look at the TV programs, you look at the movies, our society is obsessed with somebody coming in and subjugating the, the human race. We look at this 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 latest TV show on, I think it's TNT or something, uh, Falling Skies. Aliens have come down and landed and decimated Earth population. Jericho, a, a year or two ago, was a plague that hit the planet, and only the kids were left over. 20 years later, they're growing up. Um, we see shows like V many years ago where they came in and infiltrated Earth to accomplish the same means. Um there are, and, and the move, the Transformers movie, uh, all of these things are about huge stopping the cycle, right. stopping huge things that come in and interfere with us to yep. uh, auspiciously teach us a lesson, so to speak. Right, to stop and, the cycle of destruction. Yeah, but I think I think there is something to be said. However, I have a more optimistic view on, on one aspect here. And that is is that I've never been one to believe in the theological principle that man is born a sinner, that we are doomed to gravitate to the wrong edge of the uh wrong side of the street. I tend to, to rather believe that we have within us both positive and negative traits, and that the degrees to which we develop happen according to which side of the tracks we lean towards. And I think we can have experiences in our life in the same way that a child is nurtured by parents to be either good or bad, depending on the parents, that we can, by following, uh, in the religious sense, uh, God or Satan, that we can choose our side, so to speak, but I truly believe that while we will be faced with these catastrophic events and the catastrophic challenges, I think that there are enough of us who have embraced that which is good, whether it be theologically, whether it be philosophically, whether it be scientifically. But there are enough of us who have embraced the good in things that I think not only will we survive, but I think we'll be able to come out of 
the coming catastrophes uh, well, but it will only be by embracing those things that are good. Whether one chooses to say, well, that's because I embraced God, or whether it's because I embraced the principle that we must follow these rules of goodness. No, no, uh, okay. Now, look, look here, let me, let me ask you a question. What you're talking about is the way I'm uh, interpreting this is you're talking about the moral compass. Everybody's born with it. Okay, and we get it, we get it exercised according to lots of external influences, home upbringing, friends, blah 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 blah. That more. Well, we also have our own choice, but yeah, we that, we no, no, program that's, that that's compass. But, yeah, but let's let's go to the moral compass because the moral compass is what creates the choice. We choose to go one way, or we choose to go another way. I disagree that on that. I think the moral is compass is a guide. If we choose. No, it can't be a guide. You either turn on a light, get light, or you turn it off and get dark. That's a choice, but it's div- but it's driven by that moral compass. Everything that we choose is driven by a moral compass that is inbred in us. It's in our soul. We're born with flesh, but we're also born with a, a moral compass. Right. Agreed, on, uh, agreed that we are born with a moral compass, but I think that we have the option, the opportunity to program that moral compass to a certain degree. If you have people like uh, John Dillinger, he well, chose no, no, to program are, yeah, his no, no, moral no, no. compass differently than the rest of us. Right. Those are external influences. Okay. His moral compass that, was backwards. Y- yeah, you would say that his moral compass was broken because he chose he chose the wrong way. Every single because time he, he was faced with a choice, he chose he, the wrong way. Exactly. And so his compass was pointing the wrong direction. <laughs> right. And each time he, he chose programmed the wrong it. way. No, 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 no. His his compass was his moral compass was pointed in the right direction, but out of habit he learned to go left instead of right. <laughs> I mean every single time he decided, No, I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna write bank today. Okay? But it was still there. And each time he made that choice, it became less of an issue with him. His moral compass was ignored, but it was always there. And in the beginning, it was a very strong compass about this is the right way, this is the wrong way. Everybody's born equally with that. I believe that. And through choice and experience, we influence the way that we develop our own moral compass, what you're saying. But the right and wrong is in us as as clear as night and day. And we're the ones that influence how we react to that. For instance, I could walk up to you with a gun pointed at your head and say, I'm going to shoot you. Now, what's going to stop me from doing that? Not you. Because I can step away. I can I can move faster than you. I have the gun. I have all the power. You're going to call the cops. They're not going to get there soon enough. You're going to scream somebody on the street. They're not going to get there soon enough. But in the end, the only deciding factor is going to be my moral compass. Am I going to pull that trigger or I'm going to say, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. But there's See, something else you're leaving out. Of, there. But you're leaving out something in the, discu- in the discussion of that scene. And w- I think you're both getting on topic. 
We're definitely getting off topic, but <laughs> I'll just address this last. Oh, last you know what? Yeah, you, you know what? You've got an interview going on, and we got to get off of this. <laughs> we're, no, we're actually incorporating this. Yeah, that but, was the okay. idea. Yeah, but you guys are kind of going off that topic and getting a little more into morality, which is probably something that that that, that could be a whole two or three shows well, on its own. Point yeah. That, the point that I'm making to all this is that if we're all built with the same moral compass and, you know, each one of us interprets differently the uh, whether we want to go right or left, but we're all built with the same moral compass. We are equal in that respect. And that is why, left to ourselves, we are going to continually destroy ourselves because we are going to allow one person, like, you know, the uh, public enemy number one, who's going to make the wrong choice in spite of the moral compass that all of us have. He's going to make the wrong choice every time. And he becomes a bad apple in the barrel every time. It's just it's like, at the crux there is, of that you shrug. Have, have you heard of complex oh, yeah, systems yeah. theory or chaos theory? Sure, yeah. Okay. Do you understand there there is a premise, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but in any complex system, what makes it work is the elements that make up that system, whether it be cells, whether it be people, whether it be communities in a nation, as they interact, they move that organism or that complex system forward. Now, that complex system either grows or it declines. It's never static, at least not for very long. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. The, the Soviet Union is a complex system, hit a point where the weight of their control system was so great that it collapsed on them and they had to change something. Now, wonderfully, they've been able to do something that very few complex systems can, and they reborn. They were reborn out of that collapse into a somewhat kind of sort of neo-democratic country <laughs> that at least is growing. Yeah. Neo Democratic. Huh? Yeah, you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> there, Could you spell that again? <laughs> I wouldn't even want to try. But you, you get yeah, the gist of what I think. As, as a complex system, and there are some basic principles that apply to almost all complex systems, and that is, is that there is a harmony almost like a song. You can take a song, for example, Dolly Parton's, um, no, garbage. What was that song that? Uh, Whitney Houston then sang years later. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. In in uh, yeah in Bodyguard. Gotcha. I know. Yeah, yeah I, I know the song. I know the song. I always love you. That was it. Now when yeah. Dolly Parton sang it, it was a wonderfully beautiful song. It uh, had aspects uh -huh. of innocence. It had aspects of uh, <clears throat> almost childlike joy and commitment. When Whitney Houston sang it, it was still a beautiful song. And she sang it wonderfully, but it was a very different song and had different elements in the in the harmonies. In that you had a very adult-like um, uh, love uh, commitment. The childlike nature was gone. Oh, sure. It yeah, her signature was entirely different. But you're right; both pieces were exactly. beautiful. Exactly. And so, but that's not the I case think. with the moral compass. No. Well, I'm uh -huh. not speaking of moral compass. Okay, um, I'm okay. speaking in terms of complex systems as a whole. And as yeah. we look at the Russian, uh, the Soviet Union as a complex system, its song, as it were, its harmony is very different.
than the United States Democratic Republic. In the same way that it's very different than the Social Democratic Republic of perhaps uh, Britain, or not Britain, but France, and also being different from the, the, the parliamentary monarchy of Britain. So we have each of these governments, but they all contribute to a larger complex system on the planet that is our geopolitical, whatever the heck you want to call it. I have no idea what to call it. But all of these are subject to the complex system that is the Earth and our solar system. As long as our society ignores the complex system around it, we are, as you have said in a, in a theological sense, doomed to collapse. And the catastrophes that are going to hit us. But I think Agreed. that there is an aspect... And this is this is what I, I go back to in the core of my thoughts, that the Mayans offer a tantalizing um, offering of it can be overcome by understanding the world around us. And, and I also know that in theological terms, uh, there are many parables who that speak of understanding between two people, between two groups, and that willingness to, in theological terms, love the other person or group, in geological terms, to love and care for the earth, as was, uh, as I recall, that was our uh, dictate in the garden and after the garden, to care for the earth. I got to tell you, we ain't done a very good job. <laughs> no, no, we we haven't, and that's because we've been left to ourselves. We said the test in the garden was not a test; it, it was a very, very simple test. It basically was the way uh, the way I'm commanding you to live. You have no choice, but by giving you that command, I am giving you a choice: eat of everything in this garden, but don't touch that tree. So where's the first place the woman heads? She heads for the tree. I think now, if she why? hadn't, he would have. Wow, that's I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you why she, she headed for the tree. Curiosity. Yeah. That's why she headed for the tree, because she was curious. Now, wait a minute. Now, well, what is it that now, God doesn't want us to have here on this tree? We had the whole and, serpent. And Satan, said, there. And Satan said right, right out in front, he says, well, I'll tell you what what you can have that God doesn't want you to have, you can have the knowledge of evil. See, all you have is the knowledge of good right now. But if you take a bite out of this fruit, you will get the knowledge of evil. Well, he was right. He was right. He was not lying. Where he lied is he said, you're not going to die. Well, so she bit out of the apple, and guess what? She didn't die. But it was a lie, wasn't it? Then perhaps, because Don. Now all of a sudden we're mortal. Okay, Don, I'm going to throw you a curve. You ready for this? Hold on to your yeah. seat. Consider me for a moment in the role of the serpent. Yeah. And here we have with us our society in the garden of civilization. And I'm offering that by embracing an understanding of the earth, embracing an understanding of the planets and the sun, we can survive the expulsion, the catastrophe to come. 
That's an interesting thought. So, so am I going to take a bite of that apple? That's up to you. Is that, is that your question? <laughs> I'm Absolutely not asking not a question. Because, okay. I'm not going to take a bite of that apple. You know why? Because I'm still mortal. I'm still going to die. What do I care whether the earth goes on or not? I ain't going to bite into that. <laughs> oh, but I'm not suggesting whether the earth goes on or not. I'm suggesting whether we go on or not. Oh, I don't care about that either. If I die, I don't care. If I die and there's nothing, I don't care. But if all of a sudden you tell me, um, if you don't take a bite of this, you won't die and you'll go on forever, well, now now that's something that I'll listen to. I'll say, hmm, now that's what I call a choice. Okay. If you don't bite, your world dies and you with it. If you do bite, you have a chance to continue. That is, I think, the choice that faces us today, whether it's political, whether it's geological, or whether it's technological. The choice is if we embrace an understanding of the earth and these things, not so much by looking at technology, but just technology is but one tool. But I'm referring by embracing the original challenge we were given at the garden to care for and to be stewards of the earth, I think there was a promise there that we never understood. And that that well, I guess was what half. I'm saying is that the apple was yeah. already rotten. If if I'm going to bite into an apple on the chance that it won't, uh, that we won't destroy ourselves, uh, that's pretty iffy because I, I think it's already rotten to the core anyway. I, it just mm. doesn't even look appetizing to me. Wow. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, left to ourselves, I see no hope. I see a cycle of, of death and despair. I mean, it's, but, but, Am I sad? Heck no, because I've also seen the other side of this coin. I've seen, wow, I don't have to settle for this. I don't have to settle for this at all. I don't have to settle for what man can do for himself or for me. I can settle what my creator did for me. So I don't care what man can do for me. you see the difference? I do, <laughs> and it reminds me of an analogy. Um, a mother and father raise a son, and they spend the bulk of their lives teaching this son in the ways that will benefit him and in the society that he's growing up in. And he does well, and he grows, and he prospers, and he is able to take care of his parents as well, and so they can be proud. And he comes upon a choice in his midlife that would would challenge him seriously. It is a choice for which his parents did not prepare him because they couldn't see it coming. Or mm -hmm. they chose not to tell him that it is a choice mm -hmm. that he must mature enough to make. And I often wonder, I'm often, I often consider us as a species at a point where our heavenly father and mother await us to make this next choice, both individually and a species, do we care enough? Have we embraced the love of Christ enough to do the things that are necessary to progress to the next level of spirituality and philosophy and 
art and all of the things that make us who and what we are to prepare us for whatever legacy they have to offer us on the other side. And I and I often wonder at many of the people that I see and come in contact with each and every day who talk about a religious approach, not a theological approach, but a religious approach that says God is all-powerful, God is going to smack us on our behind if we don't behave, and if we do misbehave, he's either going to reach down, grab us by the scruff of the neck, slap us on the bottom, and point us in the right direction. And I have a fundamental problem with that. Um, oh, yeah, so do I, because I that's not a loving God at all. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a description of him. Exactly. And so I, I... Yeah, I agree. I agree. As I look at this whole 2012 cycle, and I look at these events that we can plainly see are coming, the signs are there, not just in the geological record, or in the Mayan calendar, or in the space, or in the science, but they're in the Bible. They're in the records of the other great books of time, that this change is coming. And the challenge that I find myself facing is for those religious organizations who are touting, quote, the end of the world, I I have neither time nor interest in them. Oh, amen. Amen. You know, they they would say the end of time, cover your head. Okay. But by the same token, I have a great respect for our people, our species, and also for the strength of character that our theology and our philosophy has imbued us with. This, and and to a certain degree, a lot of it is is my American citizen, good old country boy with a darn rifle, and I can go out and hunt whenever I doggone well please attitude um, that says that we are better than the Romans were. We are better than the Egyptians ever got to be. We are better, we are stronger, we are more knowledgeable, we are more capable than the Russians were in their time. And yet, the Russians made it through their time of trial, and we are headed for ours. And and you know what? In, In keeping with what you're saying, yeah, if left to ourselves without external influences, yeah, I would see the possibility uh, of this nation cycling, just like you explained, we'll we'll come back, we'll be able to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. I definitely see that, and I agree with that. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that, according to the Bible, there's going to be some external influences that are going to uh, cut that cycle short. I don't care whether it's the U.S., the USSR, Greek, I don't care who it is. <clears throat> We're all going to become. If, if there was all of a sudden a solar flare, uh, we and, and EMP just encompassed this earth. Think of what kind of a world we would live in. It would be a chaotic world because most of our well, technology is built on electronics right now. Yeah. Well, if all of a sudden we didn't have the ability to use those electronics, it would be catastrophic. And I'm not just talking about. Oh, absolutely. And and, 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 and uh, meteorites, I'm talking about solar flares that would yeah. have. Well, yeah, absolutely. So I think we can, 
Yeah, and I think it's I think it's it's neat that as we get down to the last thirty seconds, we we've come to a certain level of agreement that is kind of cool. Um, I want to yeah, thank Patty yeah, for right. being able to be here. Uh, it's yeah, been a pleasure. You, I know you guys should go on forever. So unfortunately, <laughs> hey, yeah, they we, don't we need to do that. Time. Yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you, Don. So that's you uh, that's, Thank you. That's a wrap for KWAD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand signing out for the day. You guys have a great weekend. Oh, there was a caller on there. Oh, that was Don? No, these are these are guests oh, that okay. are listening. <laughs>